Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Brothers and sisters, this is the message portion of the service when we open the scriptures and listen to what the Holy Spirit of God is saying to the church. So read with me from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 8. These are the words of the prophet. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Shepherds will sh- strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast." Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I've got a question for you today, friends. What is it that makes a civilization civilized? What is it that makes a civilization civilized? This feels to me like a really important question right now, as our usual ways of being civilized are being put to the test. What is it that separates us as humans from, say, a flock of geese or a a family of bears or from some other group of humans from some other time and place. A while back, someone put this question to Margaret Mead. Margaret Mead was a world-famous anthropologist, and one day one of her students asked her the question, what is the first sign of civilization? What is the first evidence that some group of humans might actually be called civilized? And her students expected her to say something usual, like tools for hunting, or religious artifacts, or fish hooks, or clay pots. But Mead didn't say any of that. Instead, she said, a human thigh bone with a healed fracture. A human thigh bone that was broken and later healed. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, think like an anthropologist for a moment. What in the world would be so significant about digging in an archaeological site and finding the remains of a thousand-year-old village in which one skeleton, one person, had a femur that was broken and later healed? So Margaret Mead points out that if you're going to survive a broken leg, you need help. In the wild, if you break your leg, you're finished, right? You become lunch for some hungry lion. But a leg that is healed 
is a sign that someone else stayed with that person, bound up their wound, carried them to safety, provided shelter and food and water and protection. Now we have a word for this. We call it mercy. Mercy. We call it mercy, friends. It's that willingness to forgive as we have been forgiven. It is that desire to withhold punishment that is deserved. It is that divine drive to care for the least person in our midst, the person with the broken leg, the person with the broken spirit. William Shakespeare put it eloquently, the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute to God himself. One of the most essential marks of civilization, of our God-given humanity, is mercy. Mercy. The quality of mercy is not strained because it is freely given and it is freely received. Surely, friends, we are willing to give it, for surely we have received it. Welcome to week three of our series. It's called Covenant Relationships. We've been talking about this idea of covenant, friends, about the promises of God for God's people. Last week, we talked about the covenant of marriage, about our relationships with our family and with our friends. And today, I want to talk with you about what it looks like to keep covenant with the poor, about what it looks like to have mercy, to have love and caring for Jesus, uh, for the people Jesus called the least of these. One of my teachers from seminary, a man named Dr. Greg Jones, he has noted recently that the coronavirus is not the only pandemic we are facing. COVID-19's effect on our U.S. and worldwide economy has resulted in an economic pandemic. According to the World Bank, most countries in the world will have a recession in this year, in 2020, with per capita income contracting in the largest fraction of countries worldwide since 1870. The BBC reports that our U.S. economy is shrinking at the fastest rate since 2008. Since mid-March, more than 26 million people in the United States have filed for unemployment. And we have seen historic declines in business activity and in consumer confidence. The U.S. unemployment rate dropped to 11% last month after peaking at nearly 15% in April. A chief economist from Moody's Analytics has been quoted as saying, this is off the rails. It is unprecedented. The economy has just been flattened. So friends, if this has not affected you, it certainly has affected someone that you know, someone that you care about. I got an email on Tuesday of this week from one of our Timberlake people who said that after more than two decades with his company, he is being downsized. We are feeling this economic pandemic. And so we might ask the question, is there a good word from the Lord? Is there good news from God? Does the Bible have anything to say about economics and about how we care for one another in a crisis like this? And the answer is yes. Yes, absolutely. 
And so we open to the words of the prophet Isaiah. Now, when we think of prophecy, some of us think of predicting the future. And the prophets did that occasionally. But mostly what they did was to notice and name what was happening in the present. Mostly what they did was to look to the past and say, remember God's faithfulness to us in the past. The prophet's job was to enforce the covenant, to remind the people of God's promises and to call the people to be faithful to God, even as God has been faithful to the people. The prophets were always demanding that the people repent of their sin and they worship God and obey God's laws. But you got to realize, not in some sort of general religious way, like, hey, everybody, be good people. Not at all. Uh, The call to faithfulness came in a very particular context. It came in the context of relationship, of relationship with God and with one another. A call to remember their identity as the people of faith. And that their job as the people of faith is to care for one another, particularly the least. To care for the widow and the orphan to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to provide for the resident alien who was living in their midst. And so the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 61, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Now that sounds good, right? And we know that is what God intends and that is what God will eventually do. But when you and I turn on the news in the evening or we go to the internet, we don't hear a lot of good news for the poor, do we? Uh, We don't see the captives being freed. We don't see the prisoners being released. We know what the problem is. What in the world is the solution to this economic pandemic? Well, surely, friends, the solution is at least partly political and legislative, right? We need legislators to make laws that help people rather than hurt them. Surely the solution is partly educational. We know that education has uh, the power to lift people out of difficult circumstances, We know that we need a reform of our broken health care system. So many people carry crippling medical debt. And I love, I love, love that many of you are already part of these solutions in our community. Many of you run small businesses, and so you provide jobs to people who need them. You educate children. You educate families. Uh, You work in channels of government and in public service and in health care to care for the people of our community. Friends, bless you. Thank you for your service. That is so wonderful, and we bless you for it. And yet, as necessary as these solutions are, we know they're not sufficient, don't we? We know that those things are not enough because the world needs the grace of Jesus Christ, which is where we come in. You and me and all of us together collectively because we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the church. And so I wonder, what does it look like for the church to be part of the solution for economic problems in the world because of our faith in Jesus. Let me ask that again. What does it look like 
for the church to be part of the solution to the economic problems in the world because of our faith in Jesus. Well, the scriptures give us a clue, friends, and one of the best clues is from Acts chapter 4. And so I want to read you a brief story about what the early church life was like, about how the disciples who lived in the same generation as Jesus lived and worked and ate and, and had their common life together as they tried to figure out what it means to be disciples in a challenging world, about how to live together, about how to be a community. So this is from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, we're so used to individualism and to, to private ownership of our stuff that we read a story like that, right? And it sounds crazy to us. It sounds almost otherworldly. But this is how disciples of Jesus live, friends, according to the Bible. So a couple things from this passage. They are of one heart and mind, right? In other words, they have agreement on what's important, namely loving Jesus and loving each other. They do not claim private ownership of their stuff. They don't say, hey, this is my land. This is my house. This is my John Deere tractor. No, they say, you know what? Everything I have is from God. So let me use it. Let me share it with my neighbors so that we can all have what we need. The story says they consistently give testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. It's the truth of the resurrection. It's their new life in Christ that is at the center of their common life which means their motive isn't economics. Uh, because their lives are being transformed in Christ, one of the fruits of the resurrection is a fruitful economy for this early church. So those who had resources, they would sell a house or sell some parcel of land, and they would take the proceeds and lay it at the feet of the leaders, and the leaders would use that to take care of the people in the community so that everyone had what they needed. Now, maybe not everybody had what they wanted, but everybody had what they needed to live. And friends, once again, we are reminded everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. We know that our economic problems require solutions more than just economic solutions. They require spiritual solutions. We need people whose hearts are right with God and right with each other. Now, some of you will read a story like this from Acts chapter 4, and you'll say, oh, that's communism. That's communism. I know what that is. Not at all, friends. Not at all. Remember, we are not talking about economic solutions. We're talking about spiritual solutions that have economic implications. In the economy of God, there is an abundance that means everyone has enough. Everyone has exactly what they need because God provides for his children through the grace of Jesus Christ. Taking a story like this from Acts 4 and calling it communism is also what we call 
anachronistic. It's out of time order. Communism wasn't even invented back then. And more importantly, friends, notice the disciples were not sharing what they had because the government required them to. (laughs) Not at all. They were doing it because this is what it means to follow Jesus. They were doing it because this is what Jesus required of them. I don't know about you. I have very little trust in the power of governments to provide for people. But I have great trust in God and God's people to be the kind of movement in which every person is included. And so we might take this story from Acts chapter 4 and and call it intentional Christian community. Intentional Christian community. The disciples of Jesus taking the covenant of God so seriously that they are absolutely committed to taking care of each other spiritually, medically, emotionally, economically. Now, this is not easy, friends. This is not easy. A living according to Acts chapter 4 would constitute a pretty radical shift for many of us who are listening to this story today. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure how you scale it, because I can imagine pretty easily how you do this with a family of five, but I'm not sure how you do this for a city of 50,000. So I'm not sure how you scale it, but it's clear how you start. It's very clear how you start. Jesus started with 12 friends. You can start with your family. You can start with your life group and with your neighborhood. And what you do is you take care of each other and make sure that everyone has what they need so that the one who loses his or her job is provided for and the one who is hungry gets food and the one who is naked gets clothing. And then what happens is you expand your circle little by little as the Spirit gives you ability so you draw more and more into the circle of God's provision and love. In the heart of Timberlake, there is love for the poor. I know it. I know your heart. There is love for the poor. But I wonder, do we know who they are? Do we know people who are in poverty? I find many of us continue to be surprised at just how many hungry folks there are right here in Campbell County and in Bedford County. A good next step might be for us to do the work of learning about our neighbors, who they are, about where they live, about how we can bless them, about how they can bless us. Friends, please get this. We're not really talking about charity. We're talking about community. We're not really talking about giving handouts. We're talking about being the hands of Jesus for those who are in need. We're talking about restoring the covenant that God has given us with our neighbors. Because God has promised to provide everything we need for abundant life. Not just for us, but for all of God's children. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Let God's people say, Amen.